I have prepared for you today a sermon on one of the scariest passages in all the Bible. You're welcome. <laughs> we are preparing for, to begin our Lenten series next week, so we've been working through the Sermon on the Mount this week and had to skip over a bit to get to the end because that's the summing up that Jesus gives us of his teaching there. And that summing up is found in Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 13. Hear the word of God. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow is the road that leads to life and only a few find it. Watch out for false prophets. They come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ferocious wolves. By their fruit you will recognize them. Do people pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Likewise, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a bad tree cannot bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus, by their fruit, you will recognize them. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and in your name drive out demons and in your name perform many miracles? And then I will say to them plainly, I never knew you. Away from me, you evildoers. That was the scary part if you didn't catch it. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like the foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. So Jesus gives us a comparison here, a comparison between a wide path and a narrow path, oh, broad gate and a narrow gate. He gives us a comparison between trees that bear good fruit and trees that bear bad fruit. He gives us a comparison between a house built on a solid foundation and a house built on a bad foundation. And in all of this, he is encouraging us to consider which side we're on. And I would encourage us to consider that this morning as well. First, he says, enter through the narrow gate. Because the way is broad and wide that leads to destruction. And many enter through it. You just sort of picture, don't you, the, the crowds unthinkingly going along on this wide road, not even realizing that they're not going where they hope to be going. 
And we find in the world around us that there are many, many broad paths, many things people look to as their broad path, the way to God that isn't the way that God has given to us in Jesus Christ. Many focus on their career, and it's easy for us to do. That's where we spend much of our day, and it's how we measure ourselves maybe against someone else. Maybe it's our family. Maybe it's your children. And your hope for your children is that they grow up to be valuable people, important people, maybe more important than you. But do you realize how unfair this is to children? To place your own identity and your own value upon them? And maybe you're like so many in the world today who place your ultimate value on yourself. Self-improvement, self-actualization, self ahead of other selves. And all of this is to justify yourself. To say, I'm finding value, I'm finding purpose, either in my career or in my family or in how good I am. And then, of course, there's religion. Being very active in the life of the church. Serving people. Having other people in the church say how good you are. Maybe it's your theology. You get it all nailed down just right. Now, we have not switched to the narrow path yet. We're still on the broad path. Religion can be as much part of the broad path as the efforts of those who don't even believe in God. Because religion and all of those other efforts are an effort to prove yourself to make yourself worthy, to say, I am finding my path. It's what most people do. And that's why the way is wide. So what then is the narrow way if religion can't help me? The narrow way, of course, is the way of Jesus. We find um, the narrow road is mentioned here right before uh, the true and false prophets, those who are teaching Jesus and those who are teaching whatever it might be, religion, good works, um, prosperity. There are many ways that people can teach things that are not the gospel of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, this is horrible. Indeed it is. What a horrible thought to be a teacher who is responsible to help people come to know Jesus Christ, to bring people into the kingdom who instead shows them a way that isn't the way. And I have to say this was not an easy week for me as I was preparing this passage because I feel that weight very strongly. I, wanna, I want to make sure to help you and me understand this passage and what Jesus is truly saying here because it matters. 
It matters to the point of life and death eternally. So the true path is narrow. And we get a picture then, don't we? If you consider, especially as Jesus was, might have been walking or near the gates of Jerusalem, there were wide ones that many people came through, and then there were little narrow ones that maybe were for servants to come through or deliveries to be made. And if you think about the narrowest of gates, what do you have to do to get through those narrow places? When we were kids, there was a, um, <laughs> I'd like to say sewage drainage tunnel, but that sounds really gross when I tell you the next part. There was a, a storm sewer drainage tunnel that we loved to crawl through, but we couldn't be carrying anything to get through that thing. You can't carry anything along with you to get through this narrow way this narrow way that is Jesus Christ. You have to put aside everything, every self-justifying thing that you have, because it is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that you can enter through this way. And that means turning away from everything, turning away from everything that you've been holding on to to justify yourself. Repentance. And then, trusting obedience. So this scariest passage of the Bible, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. And notice where this passage lies. It lies right between the paths, the narrow way, and the houses, the foundation story. And so we get a glimpse and a degree of understanding of this scary part from those other two parts. In other words, um, those who come to Jesus and say, didn't we do this? Didn't we? Lord, Lord, didn't we drive out demons? Didn't we perform miracles? Didn't we prophesy? It sounds like good folks, right? They're, they're doing the right things. They're doing things that we might think can only be done by the power of God working through them, but there's something serious missing. It's not their passion. If you understand uh, the way the language works, when, they, when you repeat the name, Lord, Lord, that's an expression of deep passion. When David was grieving his son, Absalom, he said, Absalom, Absalom. There's a depth of emotion there. So emotion isn't the key. They served. They did things for the kingdom of God. So service isn't the key. They believe. They call him Lord. They might even have all their theology nailed down just right of who Jesus is as the Son of God, and they may have all of their behaviors nailed down just right of how they believe they're supposed to behave. And Jesus says, I didn't know you. 
Not, oh, I remember you. We knew each other before, but we've lost touch. But I never knew you. And when we look back at the two ways and we look forward to the two houses, we get an understanding of what is wrong here. These people are trying to say that they have earned their way into the kingdom of God. And Jesus says, if you have not come to the realization of your need for me, of your need for repentance and salvation that doesn't come from you at all, ever, no way, no how, then you don't know what it means. We have not developed a relationship. They say, didn't we do this in your name? I think there's a, an insight that it's very important with that one. Um, and it, Well, two insights. One is, they say, did we not, three times in the original language. So Jesus is saying, they come to him and they say, look at us, look at us, look at us. Aren't we good? Aren't we good? Aren't we good? And Jesus says there is none good. No, not one. Because it's not your goodness that is going to earn you a place in God's kingdom. The other insight is that they say, in your name. And we, we remember the Ten Commandments. Do not misuse the name of the Lord your God. Do not take the Lord's name in vain. And we often think that that means, you know, using it as a swear word, which please don't do. But that's not all that this means. What it means is using the name of God for your own agendas, using God to get what you want. And there, that's such a big issue for people. We receive what Christ has done for us for the purpose of getting something else. Lord, I will do this if I can have a relationship with that person. I believe in Jesus because I think he's going to bless me with things, with success. And the, the, the problem is we have things reversed. We look to Jesus for something else, whereas the way of God, if God is indeed Lord, if Jesus is indeed Lord, and if his kingdom is our ultimate existence, our ultimate goal, our ultimate life, then there is nothing more important than that. So everything we have, everything we desire, we realize is ultimately a desire for Jesus Christ. And so when we look to him, we don't look to him as a means to another end, but as the end, the purpose, the whole point of our existence. Now let's look at the houses. It's interesting how Jesus tells this story. You notice what both builders have in common. They both build a house. We don't know what the houses are like. It could be that the one on the firm foundation is a, a little bungalow. And it could be that the one on the 
faulty foundation is a huge mansion. We don't know. All we know is that two men built two houses. The other thing we know that happened to both is that a storm came. A storm came to both people, just like storms are inevitable in our lives. But the difference, the difference is the important part at this point. The difference is the foundation upon which each one built. The foundation of stone, the foundation that the house is anchored to something solid that cannot move, that house stood firm. It could have been the biggest mansion in the world, but it would have stood firm because it was on that solid foundation. And the one, no matter what kind of house it was, that didn't stand firm was on a faulty foundation. And what Jesus is saying is, you can create your life and, and invest your life in all kinds of things, but in that day, when you stand before God, nothing will be a firm enough foundation for it not all to be wiped away, except Jesus Christ, except trusting him, except believing in him, and except knowing that he is the foundation. So all those bad foundations that seemed good at the time, career, money, Appearance, intelligence, ability, reputation, family, religion. None of them will hold up. Because they're all centered in the self. And our self, apart from God, is not sufficient. That's the whole point. That's the whole point. Humanity has fallen. Humanity needs a Savior. And Jesus Christ is that Savior. The only foundation worth building upon is that foundation that is Jesus Christ, that Savior who has come to rescue us from ourselves. So, in 2 Samuel 22, David writes a psalm of praise. It's also uh, echoed in uh, Psalm 18. And in this song, which is relatively long, I'm just going to read a small part, he writes, God reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in the day of my disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. This is the promise of God for us. It's interesting, isn't it? It says, he brought me into a spacious place. When we look at the broad road and realize that in the end it leads to destruction, that broad road narrows down so that when we think we have all the options in the world, we end up with none, with no choices left, because God takes over. But when we enter that narrow way, willing to put down every, everything that we trust in ourselves and trust only in Jesus Christ, 
and we go through the difficulty of repenting of all those things, we come out to a spacious place. The broad path leads to narrowing. The narrow path opens up a beautiful space for us. And um, the last of the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia, there is a scene in which someone enters into a, a, a shed on a hill. And once entering that shed, sees a whole other world, similar to entering that wardrobe and finding the whole world of Narnia there. C.S. Lewis understood this concept of going through the narrow space to get to the place that God opens up for us. So what do we do? Are any of you nervous? Are any of you wondering, am I in verses 21 and 22? I spent much of the week thinking I was. I will be honest with you. You can ask Devin. What do we do? Are we scared? We don't need to be. That's the wonder of this, and that's how I was so pleased working through this passage to discover the whole point Jesus is making is you don't need to be worried about this because what you need to do is root yourself to the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Put aside all your hopes of self-justification and trust in Jesus Christ. And there will be nothing that can shake you if you are on Jesus Christ, if you know his power and presence and salvation for you. Don't choose your stuff or your religion or your obedience. Choose Jesus Christ. Anchor yourself. It's said that the best place to be if that great hurricane ever hits San Francisco is the middle of the Golden Gate Bridge. Now, that makes no sense. Unless you know the structure of that bridge, the piers of that bridge are anchored so firmly into the bedrock that even though that bridge is going to sway, even though that <coughs> bridge will look like it's in trouble, it is built to withstand a nine-point on the Richter scale earthquake. If you've ever gone to the 911 uh, museum memorial and seen go down in and you see the foundation of those twin towers. Those, that foundation was strong enough to hold those up as long as they weren't attacked from above. Foundations are important. Jesus is saying your foundation will determine if you stand or if you fall. So if you have a strong, solid foundation in Jesus Christ, you will not fall. And it's not about you, it's about the foundation. Just step onto it. And then when you read a passage that says, Jesus might say, go away from me, I never knew you, you can say, but I know him, and he knows me because I trust in what he has done for me, not in what I've tried to do for myself. Now this might mean 
it's not necessarily that you're going to always remember this. We, we are often challenged and, and called in to question all of this, but what to do, what to do in that situation? Make sure that you're standing on the foundation. Remind yourself, preach the gospel to yourself. When you're starting to wonder, am I, am I really part of God's reign? Am I really one of God's children? Remind yourself, it's not about you. It's about what Christ has done. Trust in that. And then you don't have to worry how well you've behaved. But Jesus does say, make sure to be obeying my word. There's an old song in the hymnal called Trust and Obey. And there was a time in my life where I thought that was oversimplified and silly because I thought it's not about obeying. It's not about obeying. It's about what God has already done for us in Christ. But it is about obeying. Not to earn your place, but to allow yourself to be more and more confident of your place. Not because of what you've done, not because of what you're continuing to do, please hear that, but because you are nurturing that connection with your foundation. You are standing more and more firmly on that foundation. And when you trust in that foundation and live as one who is made new in Christ, obeying him, you know that connection is strong. A similar passage, or a parallel passage in John 15, where the vines and the branches work that connection. You are, Jesus said, I am the vine, you are the branches. Make sure that you keep that connection strong, that you know that your only hope is in him. And as we enter the season of Lent, I encourage you to tighten the bolts that hold you to the foundation that is Jesus Christ. Make sure that your relationship with him is strong and solid and we all drift and we all are tempted to walk another path. And Lent comes around every year to remind us if we need to be reminded to get back on track, to step back onto the solid rock that is Jesus Christ. And I encourage you to take up a discipline during Lent, starting on Wednesday, Ash Wednesday, be it prayer in a different way, a more concentrated way, fasting uh, for a day, or maybe um, from lunchtime one day to right before lunchtime the next day. There are many ways to do this, maybe it is um, a, a discipline of, of reading the word more. Whatever these things, they're not, you're not going to do them to earn your salvation, but to remind you of the salvation that is yours in Christ and to make your connection with that foundation stronger so that you are more confident in what Christ has done for you.